down to his level and yeah. let him sort of like touch my face a bit. He was perfectly happy and he'd do that for a minute and then he'd, he'd, he'd said hello and he would go and sort of wander off and sort of yeah. like uh, sort of settle into the school day. If you weren't looking at why he's doing that, then it could have been sort of like a really sort of negative experience that like he could have. You are listening to Adam Satindamar, a friend of mine who is a very experienced teacher for children and young people with autism and severe learning difficulties. He currently provides outreach support to mainstream schools in London. And I'm so happy to have him on the podcast to talk all about emotional regulation and the importance of teaching regulating strategies and the impact this has on learning and everyday life. He's going to give some practical ideas and strategies for supporting the development of emotional regulation. You just heard a snippet of Adam giving an example of behaviour that he'd observed and then how he supported the student. So before we get into today's conversation with Adam, let's hit it with the intro. And here's your host, my favourite teacher, Steph Reed. Welcome to the second episode of the Autism Spectrum Teacher Podcast. My name is Steph Reed and I'm an autism specialist teacher and I provide outreach, training, coaching and consultancy to schools and services. And you can find me over at www.autismspectrumteacher.com. The Autism Spectrum Teacher Podcast is all about developing understanding of autism through having conversations with autistic individuals, parents, teachers, service providers, educational professionals. And I'm really excited about today's conversation with Adam Satindamar, all about emotional regulation. Here we go. Adam, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So Adam is as well as being a friend, is an experienced teacher for children with autism. And should we start off by you just giving a background of your experience, mm-hmm. the, the kind of schools you've been teaching at? Sure. Um, so I've been working with children and young people with autism for the last 10 years. Um, prior to that, I worked in mainstream education. Um, during the last 10 years, I've worked with um pupils from all sort of key stages from sort of key stage one up until uh sort of post 16 students um and i've had some experience with sort of the whole sort of range across the autism spectrum from sort of children with sort of no language to children with lots of language um and sort of low cognitive ability it's very mm. high cognitive ability so quite a range of needs yes, and um, ability. Okay, so today's topic, we're going to focus on emotional regulation. So first of all, I guess it would be good to think about what exactly emotional regulation means. Mm-hmm. So how would you define emotional regulation? Well, I suppose emotional regulation is um, a skill that we all have to varying degrees. Um, it's not something that we are taught in school so much. It's something that we learn from sort of parents and peers. 
Um, and obviously there's many reasons why um, children and young people with autism might not be able to sort of regulate their emotions in the way that you or I can. Mm. Um, but I would define it as your ability to keep you and your sort of immediate surroundings sort of acceptable to you and mm. not, not, not to have things in your sort of your own sort of small world that are causing you any sort of distress or anxiety. Mm. Um, so... And then knowing, knowing how to safely manage emotion mm-hmm. and those experiences. <clears throat> yeah, I suppose like, and like, I mean, crying when you're upset is a way of regulating your emotions. Mm. Um, um, so is sort of like, if you, like to go out for a sort of a walk or a bike ride to sort of help yourself calm down. That's all sort of that. That's always regulating your emotions. Mm. So um, knowing, I don't know. For example, that what you said about going for a walk. Maybe you're you first of all need to identify how you're feeling. Perhaps yeah, I'm you feeling. Have to... I'm feeling a, a bit. Um, uh, maybe sad mm-hmm. and I want to have a think about what's make, making me feel sad so I'm going to take myself for a walk yeah, so using course. that as a strategy um, and I think we can probably all sort of empathise with what it's like to be sort of to be dysregulated for something to be wrong in your sort of your world or your immediate sort of mood and you've not really identified that feeling in yourself yet. Yeah. So you don't really know what to do because you're just, sort of, yeah. you're having all that emotion and that sort of manifests itself as sort of anxiety in people. Um, but I think most typical people, when they do recognize how they're feeling, they've got a toolkit of sort of mm. strategies to sort of help them deal with that emotion it could just be asking someone to give you a bit of space or to sort of to leave you alone yes, yeah. which if you think about a, an autistic child in a school if they don't have language they don't have that ability yeah. to just say can you just give me a little bit of space please like yeah. they don't have that's one tool that they don't have in their kit and I suppose if we sort of think about all the sorts of things that you can do to sort of regulate your emotions then a lot of your sort of behaviour and a lot of the things that you do are about regulating your emotions. Yeah. Like if you're feeling sad, it's about cheering yourself up. If you're feeling worried, it's about reassuring yourself. <clears throat> if you're feeling nice and calm and happy, it's about sustaining that nice and calm and happy feeling. Yeah. So we're all doing it all the time um, just to keep ourselves on an even keel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not just a sort of... It's not just a sort of a bringing yourself up when you're feeling down thing. It's also a sort of when you're feeling overstimulated, what you can do to sort of mm. to bring yourself sort of back down a bit. Yeah, yeah. But I think everyone, I mean, I know that I struggle sometimes. Mm. If I'm getting, if I'm on a train, a busy train, and the train stops at the station, the doors open and someone tries to rush onto the train before people get off, then I sort of like, I lose my regulation at that point. And yeah. I sometimes say something that quite rude to that person who's trying to force himself onto the train. So we all do it all the time and I think when you when you kind of know and understand how children with autism try and regulate themselves you can mm. see it in them all the time as well they are doing it constantly and they it's um 
because I suppose the anxiety a lot of the time mm. is really constant for them. The anxiety never goes away for some children. They are just kind of sometimes stuck in these sort of like loops of regulating behaviours, which to people that don't understand what they're doing can look kind of strange mm. or not socially appropriate or the sorts of things that maybe you wouldn't want to take your child to the supermarket because if they get upset and they start regulating themselves in the way that they usually do, mm. you know that someone's maybe going to comment or someone's going to give you some sort of like look or sort of like you're going to receive yeah, some sort of, of judgment from lack people. Of understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess for, for teachers like ourselves, mm -hmm. I guess I've always looked at the area of emotional regulation as, as so important because, like you said before, if you're not regulated, you're not going to be able to take part in a lesson, for example. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to um, to join in with the learning. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's even more important to focus on learning and, and understanding some strategies to regulate those emotions. Mm -hmm. So in the classroom, what are some strategies you use to teach children how to regulate their emotions? It'll, well, I mean, everything in the classroom starts with sort of knowing your students and knowing their profile and knowing sort of what it looks like when they are trying to regulate their emotions in different ways. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, what for, for one sort of child might be um, a sort of a sensory sort of thing, maybe like biting their nails or the skin around their, their fingernails or something. For another student, that might be a sort of sign of very serious sort of anxiety yeah, and distress yeah. and that some sort of like something is going to sort of happen very soon in terms of like a breakdown of their emotional their ability to sort of hold it together um so i think knowing your students is firstly key to know what those sorts of signs look like in terms mm. of sort of vocalizations or things that the child is saying or doing once you know your students and if you, you've got the same group of students coming to your class every day um, and every day you've got to try and sort of have everyone nice and calm and happy and sort of well regulated and ready to sort of take on some sort of like skill or to participate in as a learning activity. Um, the second thing I would always do is to just look, to look at the classroom and to just sort of remove anything which is sort of causing distress yeah. or anxiety yeah. and that can be almost anything i mean for some children they don't like to have a clock on the wall yeah maybe they can hear the sort of the ticking of the second hand and it gets really annoying for them so removing things that they like some i've had students who just cannot have the window of the classroom open maybe because there's a sound outside that they can hear that other people can't or some children will absolutely need like a soft area on the floor to be able to sort of like sit down when they're mm. just sort of like a lot of children like to sit on the floor. Um, so just trying to adapt the room and the layout. Maybe the student doesn't like to sit anywhere by that student. So then you arrange your sort of seating formation so that they are sort of not close together. Um, so yeah, just sort of going through, because I think the it's easier to control the environment than it is to adapt to the behaviour. Mm. So if there's something in the room or in the environment which is sort of triggering anxiety or sort of distress, 
and just get rid of those things as much yeah. as possible. Um, so yeah, I would say start with knowing your students, knowing what the signs of their sort of dysregulation are, and then secondly, looking at the room. If you're going to be in that room every day, getting rid of everything that is a possible source mm. of sort of any sort of anxiety. Teachers and teaching assistants, do you want to feel really prepared and equipped to meet the diverse needs in your class? Do you want to effectively manage, de-escalate and minimise behaviour that's challenging? Do you want to confidently and effectively lead your team in the classroom to maximise impact? Or do you want to stop spending lots of time looking for resources and strategies? Then I'm here to help. Autism for Teachers is an accessible anytime online training course designed to help teachers and teaching assistants meet the holistic needs of autistic children and young people. After consulting in lots of different schools as an autism specialist teacher and advising hundreds of teachers and school leaders on high quality autism provision and practice, I've put together Autism for Teachers to give you an easy and accessible way of gaining the practical strategies and resources that are going to help you effectively support autistic children's learning. Expand your knowledge of autism, developing communication, supporting sensory processing, emotional regulation, behavior, and social interaction with a comprehensive resource base of bite-sized videos featuring lots of practical ways that you can help and support children's learning, progress, and well-being. Perfect for busy teachers. You can gain a toolbox of evidence-based strategies and skills, as well as downloadable resources such as visual support, like timetables or editable documents like behaviour support plans or classroom organisation. We also have packages for schools. Come and join now at autismspectrumteacher.com to get started straight away. Have you got any any particular examples that, that there's something particular in the room that you've noticed over time that's perhaps caused um, them to become dysregulated and maybe you weren't aware of that at the at the beginning? I think I think a lot of it is probably related to like sensory intolerances because yeah, some of the yeah. big ones are sort of like lights being turned on or off. Mm. And sometimes the room is so dark that people like, can't really see what they're doing, but the student will not let you turn yeah, the light yeah. on. The windows, <clears throat> the air vents, um, lots of things. Cause, I mean, students, like, they can pick up on sometimes like, really tiny little sorts of a buzzing sound yeah. coming from like a computer. And I mean, I can kind of empathise because I've got quite like high pitched hearing and sometimes I can hear if a, like a TV is off, mm. it will sometimes still make a very high pitched sound of me yeah. and it drives me crazy and other people can't hear it yeah. at all. Um, so for a sort of a, a, a young person with autism, if there's something that is driving them sort of around the bend that no one else can really hear or no mm. one's interpreting and then you've got no way of sort of saying like I can hear this noise that is sort of 
like really annoying me mm. then you've got no one to try and sort of mm. help do anything about it sometimes it's a lot of trial and error right a lot of trial and error yes which then but then that also comes with its own sorts of problems because obviously the children like sort of things to be consistent and the yeah. same and yeah. sometimes when you're trying to then overcome an issue you're going through like a trial and error process which means you're changing things all the time mm. um and um i think sometimes it's it's just good to if you've got a sort of a decent theory of maybe what's bothering the student mm. is then just let try a solution yeah. for a good period of time and sort of try and let it bed in and the student get used to it because once you get into the sort of the routine of sort of trying to swap and change things around or try this and try that then there's no consistency for the student anymore exactly. and they've not got like a baseline of what to expect when they come in on Tuesday if you yeah. keep trying different things on Tuesday if for example there was something happened if you're walking to the local swimming pool and one Wednesday there's sort of like a bit of an incident with a dog or something yeah. um the next week the students might not want to walk by back that way because they're worried about the dog. But yeah. then if you start walking a different route to swimming every time, then mm. someone else is going to get sort of like upset about that. So it's sometimes, yeah, I think it's sometimes hard to go with the trial and error. But if you aren't really sure what the source of the problem is, it's your only option really. Mm. So I would say like, go with the trial and error, but try not to make, things too different yeah and just yeah. really try and isolate if you think it is maybe the window being open that is causing the problem then that has to be your the one thing that you change try and keep everything else the same yeah. because you're trying to the work out is it the window that's bothering them or not so yeah. everything else has to be as consistent as possible otherwise you're not going to know if it's the window yeah that's causing i think the that's that's really important a really important point because otherwise it, like you said, if you're changing more than one thing, you're not going to be able to pinpoint it. And it's quite hard to resist that urge as well, because I think generally that's what <laughs> sort of we as typical people do. Like, we can cope better with change. So if something <clears throat> is sort of not going well, you can sort of change everything. Like, mm. if I... Yeah. was going on my own to the swimming pool that Wednesday and I saw a dog I didn't like, then actually the next Wednesday I could go to a different swimming pool, I could go on yeah. a different day. Uh, there's all sorts of things that you can sort of change and I know that I'll be fine with that, but you can't really do that with a group of children with autism mm. because one of the changes will bother someone and possibly <laughs> different changes will bother everyone at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So the key points you've touched on are um, the need for consistency, also the importance of not making too many changes at once and the, the effect that that can have. Mm. You've also touched on analysing behaviour and the purpose that it serves. Do you have any examples from the classroom where you've really thought and analysed um, why a student might be behaving in a certain way and then helped um, put in strategies in place to support that child? I mean, uh, one boy I, I have in class currently, um, when I first started with the class, he was sort of like jumping up and sort of grabbing at the back of my neck 
and he's he's kind of he's quite a sort of solid boy. He's quite heavy, and it's quite mm. it's quite a dangerous sort of behaviour because I'm quite tall. So he would sort of jump up and sort of grab around the back of my neck, and I got some sort of like some quite bad scratches, and it was starting to sort of like my back was starting to hurt because I was being pulled down all the time. And then I realised that actually he just wanted to sort of like my face to be at the same level as his face and he just mm, wanted that sort yeah. of like same level eye contact and he wanted to sort of like put his face near me and it was a bit of like a greeting and actually once I did get down to his level and yeah. let him sort of like touch my face a bit he was perfectly happy and he'd do that for a minute and then he'd, he'd, he'd said hello and he would go and sort of wander off and sort of yeah. like uh, sort of settle into the school day um, but I mean, that could have easily gone if you didn't understand, if you weren't looking at why he's doing that, then it could have been sort of like a really sort of negative experience. Like he could mm. have, like if I wasn't looking for the signs that, okay, what's he, what's he getting out of the behavior? If I just started pushing him away as sort of like pushing him down, then it would mm. be a sort of like, oh, this boy is always trying yeah. to attack me. And it's like, well, actually he's not trying to attack me. Yeah, he just wants yeah. to say hello. Yeah. And he's got no way of making that happen, but trying to pull me down to his level. So it's about your responsiveness and like looking, what are they trying, what are they wanting out of this interaction and trying to sort of like meet that need or ideally give them a way of requesting that. Mm. So if he wants to say hello and the, he's at the sort of level that he can use some like symbols or photos to request that yeah yeah then then get that in because then that's as well that's a communication and the, the stronger the communication skills then the better the emotional regulation skills are going to be yeah um so that was so it was quite a long point but that was talking about like behavioral strategies yeah yeah so i mean another one for example at the minute i have a student who does um he will pinch adults he will sort of like scratch his head and he has a lot of anxiety he's very mm. up and down he's very happy one minute and very sort of upset with something the next um so i've just been trying to get him to just sort of squeeze his hands together which mm. just sounds like the most sort of silly thing but he's got an intensity that he's, he's like manifesting itself physically you can yeah. feel the tension in his arms and body and shoulders and like squeezing your hands together is just a way of sort of like expressing that intensity but in a way that holds it into you and it's not pushing it onto other people it's yeah. not harming himself and it looks sort of normal it's like yeah. everyone squeezes their hands a bit yeah. when they're feeling a bit annoyed or um yeah or maybe even like stamping your foot on the floor, which doesn't look so appropriate, but for a sort of a child of his age is completely normal. Um, so you try to sort of like replace the behavior with another behavior, which is less harmful or mm. more sort of socially or age appropriate, you might say, if you sort of go for those terms. Mm. Um, with students who've got maybe a, a stronger sort of communication profile and they've got sort of like some functional language, then you need to start looking at sort of language strategies for them, mm. um, which could be 
telling someone to go away if they're a bit close yeah. to you, if you don't like that person being sort of sitting next to you in the sort of the group lesson or something, so they say, like, go away, I don't want you next to me. Yeah, As yeah. politely as possible. This makes me think of, um, of uh, a student I had and that action of, of her learning to say bye mm-hmm. and knowing that when she said bye, somebody would... Would, mm-hmm. would move away from her mm-hmm. it was so powerful mm-hmm. because she realised that she could say bye and that meant yeah. I, want, I want some space now yeah and to empower her to do that is, is such a great thing but it's sometimes even for a child a young person with autism who's got language and can even sort of like kind of use it quite sort of functionally Sometimes it's hard for them to use that language to exert social control over mm. other people because it doesn't necessarily occur to them mm. to do it that way. If yeah. you if we teach communication as sort of requesting things, like requesting like toys and games that you'd like, or requesting sort of snack foods, um, or responding to a question. So we ask students lots of questions yeah. and they respond in sort of single or short sort of phrases. But actually you do, like language is a social thing and you have to teach the student to use the language socially. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's not really going to occur to them to do that. Um, so, I mean, like language strategies, yeah, it could be saying go away. It could be being able to say, like, I don't like this. mm and uh, I mean that might be enough just say I don't yeah. like this lesson and for an adult to say okay it's, uh, it's over in five yeah. minutes that's fine it'll yeah. be fine just five more minutes like that's a sort of a language strategy you can teach like breaking down the steps of an activity so longer things are sort of broken down into shorter steps to help yeah. people understand that, that will support their, them using language strategies to say okay I just have to do the washing up and then like my cooking's finished like I don't like the washing up I much prefer mm. the cooking but once the washing up is finished it's fine I can go back to the classroom and then <clears throat> the sort of the third stage is sort of like um I suppose like planning so you've got the behavior so you can replace one behavior with a less harmful behavior you've got language strategies teaching someone to say go away stop I don't like this I would rather do that instead but then you've also got sort of planning strategies where if the child or young person has got that a bit of like an internal sort of voice that they can use to sort of plan and guide their sort of uh, behavior and sort of like um, what they're doing then you could teach them to understand like okay well I do have to do that today but it will only last like 10 minutes yeah. and I'm going to make sure that I do something really nice afterwards. So yeah, can you, you can sort of like break that down by if and I remember a sort of young man that I was teaching and he really didn't like sort of being dirty or sort of messy or touching anything. He was quite sensory intolerant of sort of things. Um, and we did have like that session during the week where everyone would sort of engage in like really sort of messy play to sort of mm. develop and sort of to build up their sort of sensory tolerance of those things. 
and he didn't like that and there was a lot of anxiety which was sort of manifesting itself in sort of like obsessive washing hands and sort of compulsive behaviours and stuff so we did some work with this young man and then he was able to sort of we let him decide what he did after that activity mm. um, and we got him he was kind of there I mean he couldn't read a clock but he knew kind of knew what 10 minutes it felt mm. like mm. Um, so we agreed on that sort of time scale for the thing they didn't like it's just 10 minutes mm. let's use a timer so we can see yeah. how long that 10 minutes is going to last and what it looks like and then he sort of chose a nice thing to do immediately after that activity and then through like using sort of calendars and schedules and repeating repeating it got him to the point where he could sort of say oh i really hate that messy play on thursday but i know that i can do something like i like after mm. once he had that internal dialogue with himself that's a plan that he's using to regulate his emotions um but like everything with autism like you have to teach that in a sort of a structured sort mm -hmm. of way so mm -hmm. like it's so often that like th like it's not usually the case that the penny drops and everything falls into place it's those like the mm -hmm. penny drops slowly bit by bit over weeks and weeks and weeks until mm -hmm. that they've got that skill yeah and there was never that moment of sort of sudden realization so oh, i can do it now mm -hmm. it's just like yeah, gradually it's... gradually he's developed that internal voice and you can see that the anxiety around that session is sort of like eased because he's got those skills now himself to sort of to to tell himself it's going to be okay mm. are you a parent or carer looking for ways to help your child's development are you looking to upskill your own knowledge to help you better advocate for your child there is a lot of information out there and I certainly know it can feel very overwhelming trying to navigate it all to find ways that are really going to help your child and their progress. Autism for Parents is an accessible anytime online course full of bite-sized videos and downloadable resources, giving you lots of practical ways and tips that you can help your child in the areas of developing communication, sensory needs, behavior, emotional regulation, transitions and social interaction. I'm also offering further personalized support with myself, Steph Reed, an autism specialist teacher and consultant to help you identify tailored ways to help your child. Come and join now at autismspectrumteacher.com. I guess maybe before we finish up, is there any any other tips that you would give to parents or teachers um, if they're, they're maybe thinking about um, how to teach their child about their own emotions? Yes. Well, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> um, I'll give an example. So as a teacher, you in sort of the day-to-day -day running of a lesson it can be quite hard to sort of keep track of what's going on because you're trying to teach the lesson mm. keep everyone on board um 
and actually, and I know you've you've done this as well, but to to film a lesson mm. or to watch back a lesson and watch mm. yourself teaching, you notice so many tiny little things that you're it's not true. aware of yeah, because yeah. you're actually you're in the moment and you're teaching the lesson and you want everyone to paying attention, everyone on board. But to watch back you is a completely different experience. And through doing those sorts of observations on yourself and being reflective when you watch those things back and thinking like, okay, well, what could I have done differently there? And actually I can see now that he's not engaged at all. And it was because he wasn't engaged that like mm. two minutes later, there was that disruption in the yeah. lesson, which maybe like actually made the lesson not quite as good as it could have been. Um, and I suppose for sort of parents and carers, in the home, I would say you've got to do the same thing. You've sometimes got to take a step back mm. and just think objectively and just think to sort of try and remove yourself from the day-to-day -day stress and the emotion of it and just step back and think, okay, what do I want to change here? What mm. do we want them to be able to sort of do or to express or... Um, yeah, I think it's it's sometimes it's very hard to sort of reflect or think about change when you're on the treadmill and mm. it's like a treadmill. You can't stop. You can't yeah. stop to reflect because then suddenly you're sort of flung off the back of the treadmill. Yeah. <clears throat> but you have to create some sorts of gaps or pauses or space for you to be able to sort of like think to make a strategy to sort of mm. say, okay, I'm going to try this and then to give yourself time to try it to see if it works to see if your sort of child or young person is responding see if it's going to help them and not just sort of not get caught up in every day being the same and if every if there's a problem there every day then you either you're either going to go on with that problem every day or mm. at some point you have to take a step back say okay i'm not mm. going on like this mm. we've got to do something about that I can't have, I mean, like, I mean, a big thing with, I suppose, a lot of parents is sort of like food and sort of mm. fussy eaters and children mm. sometimes on very restricted diets and stuff. Um, and I think that's a big emotional one for parents as well. I mean, the parents that I've, yeah. the students that I work with who are very, very fussy eaters, it can be really difficult for the parents because they, they've got concerns about their child's health some children mm. are not just won't drink fluids um so yeah all sorts of concerns about that and quite an emotional intense thing for them so yeah i would say try and give yourself time and space and to step back and i suppose like permission as well like it can be really hard i think it can be very hard sporting sort of young children um and especially it's i think different like <clears throat> different age groups present different sorts of challenges and mm. as parents of a child with autism like your sort of needs when the child's maybe sort of three or four and has not long had a mm. diagnosis is that's quite different from the needs of parents who have like got 16 year old children mm. um so i think yeah give yourself sort of permission and say it's okay for everything not to be okay mm. like life's hard for I think most people mm. like let alone 
mm. parents of children with sort of a disability. Um, so yeah, give yourself permission for it not to be okay. Say that, okay, there's something here that we want to sort of affect some positive change, create a strategy and just try and stick to it consistently to see mm. if it's going to sort of have any work, have mm. any sort of effect. Mm. Um, I think my my favourite thing to do with the children is like intensive interaction, which is just sort of like kind of engaging with them on whatever level and sort of yeah. letting them initiate the interaction and then you following sort of their direction, um, which I think is just like the most lovely way to sort of interact with sort of children with autism. And it encourages their communication and it helps you to sort of get into their world and for you to understand sort of them. Um, so, yeah, I would say <clears throat> enjoy your children. Yes. Oh, lovely, Adam. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Steph. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being my, uh, my first guest. I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate everything you said. And I think um, a lot of people can really learn from there's some really mm -hmm. important points so thank you for sharing good thank you everyone for listening go and enjoy your children and have a nice day <laughs> thank you and that brings the conversation to a close i really hope you found the episode interesting or you've taken something away from it i absolutely agree with the last point adam made there about intensive interaction and interacting with children and young people at their level and that's their level of communication so for example if the child is nonverbal interacting and joining in with them with their vocalizations or their actions and ensuring they are the ones that lead in that interaction. I'll put some links in the show notes to some further information about intensive interaction as well as some links to some blog posts I've written about implementing different emotional regulating strategies I'll just quickly highlight some of those really important points that Adam just made, including knowing your students really well, understanding and observing and listening to what they are finding challenging and what areas of emotional regulation do we need to, to focus on to help and support them. Controlling any environmental factors that are having an impact and this comes hand in hand with sensory sensitivities. Is it something to do with the noise or the visual stimuli or the physical environment that can be changed and adapted and to help that student feel more comfortable? Being consistent in our approach and not changing too many things at once. Another important point was understanding the function of behavior and why a child might be behaving the way they are what is causing or triggering them to be feeling this way and therefore behaving in a certain way Adam mentioned about implementing functional communication supports to help the children to communicate and express themselves he also mentioned about teaching functional regulating strategies that can replace harmful strategies that perhaps the children have have developed so finding something that works for that particular child and to help them regulate, which is going to be safer and less harmful to them. Adam highlighted the importance of breaking down activities into steps and how this can really help and support the children. And he also talked about different language strategies and planning strategies depending on that child's abilities and needs. 
If you haven't already listened to the first episode of the Autism Spectrum Teacher podcast, I talk about different teaching and support strategies that are not just beneficial for children with autism, but for all children. So do have a listen back if you haven't already and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and you can do that on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or you can listen on my website, autismspectrumteacher.com. I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on whichever platform you listen to. This will help the podcast be seen by other people who it could potentially help. So that would be really appreciated. Adam, thank you again for having that conversation with me and giving some really valuable advice. You can find me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube with the username Steph Reed Autism. So let's connect and also come and join our Facebook group, Autism and Inclusive Teaching, where we're sharing lots of ideas, resources and supporting each other. Come and join the community. That's all for now. Take care. Bye.